0: Feel His presence in this place right now. Lift your hands. That's a form of praise and worship, surrender. The Holy presence of God is in this place tonight, today, for one reason—to let somebody know He's near. He's not a far away, aloof God a God that's touched by what you and I feel and go through beautiful spirit of worship is here today I echo back what what Fondo has already said about praise and worship I'm not going to go into it today but there are so many things that connect to praise and worship Praise is so instrumental and so critical to your connection to God. You surrender heart, mind, soul, spirit, unfettered. throw those hands up. There's no greater thing that gets heaven's attention when you praise Him. The Bible says a person that don't praise the Lord has no fear of the Lord. The opposite of the fear of the Lord is pride. Bible says, for before pride goes before a man, but then a fall. I don't want to fall. So, the surest thing to me not falling and stumbling is is to bury my pride and lift my hands and voice and declare to God, God, I need you today. You can't just say it without a demonstration. There's got to be a reaction, there's got to be something that you give to Him. Clap your hands, lift your hands, lift your voice. Leap for joy. Give him a shout from your heart. That gets heaven's attention and ensures you not falling. That's Bible. That's Bible. Come back on Wednesday night and I'll teach you about it. God bless you. To crowd here today. Visitors, we welcome. Brother Murphy, I'm so glad you're in the house of the Lord today. Brother, it's an ongoing joke. They're all the way from Los Angeles, California. Brother Murray Adams and his dear family, I am so thrilled. This is almost like family to me. This is a second family to me. and knowing these folks for, oh, Lord, 18 plus years they're on their way to their home roots in alabama and uh, i'm so glad that y'all worked it into your schedule that y'all could kind of just make a detour and uh, come on and be in church with us here and uh, god richly bless the adams family for being here and for being with us your pastor called me or texted me told me you may be may kind of coming through we didn't know for sure and, I'm so glad that y'all worked it out We've had some great, great times in the Lord In Los Angeles, it's Fullerton specific Los Angeles area We've had some great moves of God It's some of them services that I witnessed with my own eyes You'll remember this, Brother Murray That old fella lifting them hands And that old right hand couldn't be lifted That's all he could do and the power of God moves so strong and we watch with our own eyes. That hand just do this. And just lift up. That's one of many things, ain't it, Brother Murray? We've seen in California. I thank God for his presence. That's doing a great, great work there. Our prayers are with you. I know you lost your mother. Brother Murray, we're praying for you as you go to lay her to rest strength be with you and your family and all our guests again I say we're glad that you're here uh, today a lot of home folk but a, lot of, a lot of guests then you, some of you have been hanging around long enough you ain't a guest no more this is now home so you might as well just go ahead and say this is your home church because you haven't been here so much I think they done put you on roll I think after three times you get put on roll or something I don't know how all that works I claim you, so you might as well just let the Lord claim you. Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. Let's start with verse 45. From the sixth hour, there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour... Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabnai. That is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there when they heard that said, This man calleth for Elias, meaning Elijah. Straight away one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar put it on a reed, gave it to him to drink. The rest said, let it be, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. Look at verse 46 again in the last part of that, the English version of it. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We know the ending of this story that they crucified him. They took him from that cross. They buried him and then from there after three days he resurrected and was seen of many. We know the ending of the story. But today I want to talk about this one verse. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And the thought that I felt the Lord put on my heart this morning is he was buried with a question. He was buried with a question. If you would, lift your hands and ask God to talk to us today. Jesus, I need your help today. Help my mind deliver your word clearly, effectively, as you have put it in my spirit Let all of our hearts receive that word today. Help us, Lord. Prepare us. Let us be ready for it, Lord. I'm asking you today that your will can be done at whatever the cost. We ask it in Jesus' name we pray. God bless you. You may be seated. This passage of scripture is one we commonly use on special occasions, I guess, for some I don't know, Easter maybe or different ones. You don't hear a whole lot of Calvary preaching anymore. You hear a, a lot of other preaching and good and, and well intended. Uh, but you don't hear a whole lot about Calvary. You don't hear a whole lot about what it really, really meant and the intent of it. And, and for all practical purposes, I'm not going to evade uh, a message today or, or not preach about it. I'll touch Calvary uh, but really, this scripture and this verse uh, came to my understanding a little differently uh, than it just being the traditional Calvary message or the uh, what you would commonly and you and I both understand, I think, what I'm saying that when you read some of these scriptures, you immediately kind of let your mind go ahead of the preacher and I know where this is going and this is going to Calvary and we're going to preach resurrection and he's going to try to get us to shout and all this kind of stuff and we presuppose thoughts. But just for today, allow our minds to kind of just pull back and I want to present to you more a principle of Calvary, a way of viewing right before his death that maybe you and I have never seen it before. Matthew, the writer here, is, is, is the one giving us uh, the words he heard uh, there at the cross. And Matthew's writing is is to me so, uh, eloquent. He he has a way of presenting uh, the story of Jesus like none other. I I love all. I'm not saying that to, to to put him higher. I'm just accentuating his unique ability to bear out things that other writers didn't, and it shows you things that were keen to his heart and things that he perceived through the eyes of the Spirit of God. And you'll start with Matthew in the very beginning when he begins to give uh, the genealogies of of Jesus or leading to uh, the genealogy of it. He gives the whole list in Matthew chapter 1. He begins to tell uh, this one begat this one and this one begat that and this one begat begat. And then finally he gets to the end and he goes and Joseph was begat or begat Joseph and then there was one born of Mary. I made reference to this Wednesday night, but it bears repeating again today because of him being on that cross and saying, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken him? That was not Jehovah Junior crying out to Jehovah Senior. That was not a demigod trying to appeal to a superior God and trying to say, Hey, I need your help here. But what he was on that cross that day was a picture of his humanity. And Jesus had fully all there was of humanity. And he had all there was of God. Fully man and fully God. The beginning part of Matthew depicts this. When he begins to say that the lineages was begotten, begotten, and then born of a woman Mary. What Matthew 1 and the writer Matthew is trying to show you and I from the very first chapter of Matthew is Man is begotten of a father, but he is born of a woman. And what Matthew is trying to show you and I by the lineages, it's not just repetition or just filler that God used under the unction or the spirit of God moving on Matthew to write in the very beginning a bunch of lineages stuff that really doesn't matter because it ain't your kinfolk. He's trying to show you and I that there was a natural, human, fleshly connection to Jesus. He was born of a woman. He was overshadowed by the Spirit of God. Joseph was not his daddy. Joseph was his stepdaddy. God manifested himself. He came. He overshadowed Mary. He impregnated Mary and was housed in that body of the flesh but Matthew 1 is trying to give you and I an understanding from the very beginning that he was fully God and he was fully man. Colossians says the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in him body, Godhead. I don't know about you but anytime I see two or three heads they end up in a circus. I'm waiting on some of y'all to come to church this morning y'all don't know what I'm thinking, where I'm going and y'all are nervous like a cat in a room full of rocking chairs. If I see two or three heads, I get a little nervous. They end up in a circus, it's a freak show. There ain't three heads, there's not seven heads in God, there's only one Godhead, and the fullness of the Godhead, one head manifested himself in the flesh, in the body of Jesus Christ. So Matthew is trying to show you and I, he's fully man, and he's fully God. Today, I wanna focus on his humanity. As God, he could have done anything. As God, he could call angels down. As God, he didn't have to go to the cross. As God, he could have made things happen just like that. But as man, he was an example for you and I. And this principle he's trying to show you and I in verse 46 of Matthew, when he hung on that cross at the closing of his hour, the moment that he had already been through Gethsemane. He had already been through the surrendering and the the relinquishing of a will. He had already been through the moment where he was wrestling within himself of what he should do and what he must do. You need to remember what the scripture says. He said, I take my life unto myself. I willingly lay it down. This commandment I received of my father. He's saying, man didn't take my life. I willingly laid this down. The Jews weren't in charge. Herod wasn't in charge. Pilate wasn't in charge. Nobody was in charge. It was the sovereign will and plan of God for him to lay down his life for you and I in an eternal picture of salvation, all humanity. But yet we see Gethsemane the wrestling. You would take after that moment of Gethsemane after that moment of coming up that the Bible says that his sweat was as of drops of blood that he threw his very pores of his body, his body unso- under such disarrest that under such strain of wrestling between the will of man and the will that was within his own spirit to save humanity, that humanity under distress, sweat, as drops of blood, one of the most agonizing moments and then to pass do I have to take of this cup this cup of suffering this cup that is not mine I've done no wrong I've done no error i have not messed up I'm, I'm a good person he didn't say it like that but you and I both know there was nothing in him that would have merited what he was going through but yet he showed you and I how My will cannot be the number one. I cannot let my will govern. I cannot let my will take control. And he gives us a pattern in Gethsemane and struggles in himself, struggles in his own will, in what he knows he's got to do, but yet don't want to do it. You think your situation is very far from his. He went through the same things. When I know to do right, I don't want to do it. Unless you've got just an ultra, a huge consequence. Yeah, if I shoot him, I'm going to jail. That's a pretty easy one. I know there's a consequence if I do. But what about the little things that I don't want to do, but I know I must do? Jesus paints us the picture in Gethsemane of the struggle of knowing what I must do, but knowing it's hard for me to do it. It's hard for me to lay down and let the will and the plan unfold. When he gets done with Gethsemane, they take him from that place, David, and there they crucify him and they hang him on the cross. And while he's hanging on the cross, I thought it was settled in the garden. I thought it was settled when you drank of the cup of suffering. I thought you had everything figured out. You had the directive. Your flesh don't ever want to die. Our flesh don't ever want to give up. Our flesh doesn't ever want to just... And here's Jesus on the cross at a moment when he's abandoned by all and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? A question comes to his mind that he never received the answer to. A question comes, I thought I took care of this. I thought this was over. I thought it was all figured out. I thought it was all done in Gethsemane. I thought once I did that, surely when I got to here, you were gonna show up with bells and whistles and a parade. I went through the garden and I, I drank of the cup, I I sweated drops of blood, I I did everything I could to fulfill the will and the purpose and then I stand up from that and I even make it through the cutting off of the ear of Malchus' servant and I fix that problem and I, I do all of this and Judas betrays me, but I overcame betrayal. I overcame the cup of suffering. I overcame the the agony of Gethsemane. I overcame Judas betraying me. I overcame the problems and the disfellowshipping of people. I overcame the, the feelings of isolation and being alone. I overcame everybody walking away from me. I overcame my family forsaking me. I overcame it all. Surely, by the time I get to that cross, I overcame, I willingly laid down. And I let them drive the stakes in my wrist. I let them drive the stakes in my head, my feet. I let them put the crown of thorns on my head. I never retaliated one time, Brother Joe. I never cussed them out. I never got angry. I never lost my cool. I never got mad. I ne- Watch. I never called the judgment of God on them because I was God. I could have called demons to take them away. I could have released them until the hand of Satan. I could have called angels At that moment, and they could have rained fire down like they did at Sodom and Gomorrah, but I didn't do none of that. I just laid down and I took it. So finally, when I'm hanging on the tree, surely the Calvary's coming. Surely. I'm hanging, gasping for breath. My back is shredded wide open. My guts are hanging. My bowels are just hanging out. I'm gasping for breath. I did all of that. Where's the Calvary? Where's my help? Where's somebody just to come and say it's gonna be okay? And in that moment, when everything seemed like it had fallen, and everything he had been through, see, there's things that you and I we wrestle within ourselves: our opinion, our will, our agenda, our thought. See he had went through all of that and all he could do come back with at that moment why have you forsaken me he's not speaking as a second God I've done established that get your mind out of functional denominational triatheism that don't exist he was a man on that cross showing you and I that when you've done everything you know to do Everything you've done for that marriage at home, you've you sacrificed what you have given the most. And you're at the close. And here's where many of you are today in the Holy Ghost. You're at the point of a question. You've suffered. You've been through it. You've suffered at the hands of man. You've been ostracized by people. You've been mistreated by people. You've been lied upon by people. You've been betrayed by family. You've been hurt by husbands and spouses and kids and this and this and all the above. You've had your Gethsemane. You're still here today. Some of you are at the last moment. You're at the end and you're looking for a parade and you're waiting on God to come in and God could just come down just like he could do in any situation and he could remedy that thing. In one minute, he could turn the heart. He could heal the body. He could heal the marriage. He could heal the mind. He could fix this. He can do that. God can do any of it. But sometimes, he's got to bury the question and not answer it. You're waiting on an answer. You're waiting on God to come back and say, "Hey, I'm going to tell you what I'm I'm going to tell you why you're having so much trouble. I'm going to tell you why I do what I do." Sometimes God don't answer a word because he wants to take your question and he wants to bury it in the heart of the earth. He don't want to give an answer today. He needs that question to undergo situations. And the last breath, why have you forsaken me? I don't ever find anywhere, Sister Debbie, wherever there was an answer to that question. I do find there was a response to the question. He died. He died. Oh, right there, I could feel brakes just coming, screeching. But it's not fair. I didn't do anything wrong. I I, I did it right. I raised my kids right. I put it in them right. This just ain't right that I got to go through this with my kids or my family or my neighbor or my friend or my marriage or my finances or my health. And we ask the question, God, why aren't you answering me in this situation? Why aren't you there to fix this situation, this? Find me, Brother Ron, Proverbs chapter 12. Proverbs 12, verse 11. You wonder why. And here Jesus is hanging on the cross, asking a question that he doesn't get an answer to. Brother Daryl. he doesn't get a response to. Writer in Proverbs gives me a little bit of understanding when he says it like this. Well, we'll get there. Thank God for technology. Matthew, or Proverbs 12 and 11. He says it like this. When you till the ground, you're going to eat the bread of that ground. He said the word till, tilleth means you begin to Till up. He that tilleth his land. The word tilleth means to work. It also means, I thought very ironic, the deeper root meaning of it means worship. The writer of Proverbs is trying to show you and I, out of my brokenness is what worship is. Worship is not something I bring. It's something I do out of my own human spirit and surrender to him. And he's saying you eat of your own bread or you eat of bread when you break up some things that need to be broken inside of here. When you begin to till up the things of the heart, the mind, the soul, there's something that comes up out of that. It's a heart of worship. It's a heart of surrender to him. It's a heart that's saying, God, I need your help. You want me to tell you the best thing you and I could ever do for the questions that we have to God? Just let him bury him because there's coming a time that he's going to resurrect some things out of a tomb on the backside that you and I can't see. See, you can't see it today. Jesus, who God knew all things, but he gave us a pattern, a principle. He gave us something to follow after. The pattern was, you've got to let some things go. Unanswered. Because if you can't let them go unanswered and put them in the hands of him, If you can't put them in his hand and say, God, I don't know why they're doing what they're doing. I don't know why that person's treating me the way they're treating me. I don't know why my kid is acting out like he's acting out. I don't know why I'm having to go through this in my marriage. I don't know why I'm having to go through this in my hell. God, I've done everything right. I've done to do right. You need to refer back to that scripture. We've been through Gethsemane and we're doing great. But there's questions now we're asking. And God's wanting to show us another dimension of him that we've never seen before. And it took... A death at Calvary and a question to show you and I the power that when you take that question and you let him bury it in a tomb there's going to come something out of that tomb that's more than just Jesus it's going to be your answer with Jesus to let you know you ain't lost your mind you're not crazy but he's been with you all along he's been there all along he's with you he's been there These are scriptural stories. Brother Ron, go to verse 20 of 12. See, but we struggle in the tilling up. We struggle in the dying out. Here was a unique scripture, the writer, Proverbs again. This is where we, it's like, where did all my, where's my peace, where's my joy? Anybody here ever struggle with just a lack of joy? Thank you for all five that's honest. Rest of you, come from let me pray for you Because you're lying, we all lying We all lack joy sometimes I, I lack joy Hey, Sister Spikes But he's trying to show us in this writing Real simple Peace To them that are counselors of it You know what he just said right here in Proverbs He said when you're a counselor of peace Is joy but to the counselors of peace is. Not coming, not gonna show up tomorrow. He may help you with your questions that you and I are asking the Lord God. "Why, Why have you forsaken me in this situation? You're not answering me, you're not talking to me. My mind is getting harder, I'm getting more frustrated, I'm getting more angry, I'm getting more pressurized, I'm getting more overwhelmed. My anxiety level is through the roof. You know, the word anxiety is in the Bible. Go read the rest of that chapter. It talks about being overwhelmed. Heaviness is the exact word used in Proverbs. He said there's a heaviness. And when that heaviness comes, it puts you down. It depossesses you. It puts you on the ground. And he's saying the word heaviness translates in the original Hebrew, anxiety. And he said the anxiety we're feeling and all the anxiety that, that you and I is nothing more than God allowing us to go down. That we can look to him and look up where our help is coming from. It's not for you and I to give up and throw in the towel and say God's not for me. It's now the time that I let him bury the question and I rise to the occasion and declare God's for me. God can help your heaviness of heart. God can help the weariness of your mind. But you've got to let him. Yeah, there it is. It maketh man to stoop. It means depress. Stoop. Heaviness. Anxiety gonna drop you down. Come on, can I get five honest people? I'm right there with you. I got anxiety sometimes. I don't know what that is, but I feel my chest like an elephant I got sitting on it. If that's anxiety, then I got it too. Hey, let's just sign up for it all. But here's the beautiful thing about it all, Shelby. It don't matter if it's anxiety that's going to depress me. A good word does what? It makes me glad. If I can understand, God's word's going to sustain me. God's word's going to keep me. Anxiety has no jurisdiction. Heaviness has no jurisdiction. You and I ought to come like David said. I was glad when they said unto me, let me go into the house of the Lord. Whether I get my question answered or not, God's for me. said, a good word maketh it glad. Go back to verse 20, Brother Ron. All of this is in one verse, or one chapter. But here's the one. He said, Deceitful, deceit in the heart of them that imagine evil. In other words, people that just look at deceit and want to be evil, they ain't going to have no joy. They're not going to have no peace. Their life's going to be miserable. Their life's going to be a wreck and a train wreck, period. That's the end of the story. But if they can somehow find somebody... That's a counselor of peace. You know, you got a lot of people, situations come, and they like throw more gas on it than you can, on the fire. Y'all don't know nobody like that, right? There's a problem, and they like go get the, the, the lighter fluid and just pour it on there because they like a good fire. And they stir it up even more. But you'll notice with them people, there's probably not a whole lot of joy in their life. He said, to those counselors of peace, there is joy. So in other words, if I can be a counselor of peace, every time I get an opportunity to bring peace to somebody, that's going the wrong way. You're not only going to find joy for yourself, you're going to share that joy with them. Different, Different twist on the Christmas story, how joy to the world The joy to the world is you the joy to the world is me and you it's me and you going in and amongst people trying to bring peace what's the Bible talk about the whole armor of God it's the helmet of salvation the shield of faith the breastplate of righteousness our loins girded with truth and our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of what peace that means wherever I walk I need to bring peace wherever I go I need to speak peace wherever I go I need to bring the peace of God to homes to families to the things of God I'm not trying to stir anything up I want to try if I'm gonna stir anything Anything up, I'm gonna start up principalities and powers, but I'm gonna bring peace to the people of God and let them know a good word from the Word of God will bring a medicine and a gladness to your heart. And joy. So my life is lacking joy. I need to lack, I need to look where have I been administering peace or lack thereof. If I bring peace, my my dividend. Is I'm gonna have joy by bringing peace to somebody that's in trouble. Jesus didn't contradict that when he was on the cross. He purchased. He was the Prince of Peace. So on the cross, when he's hanging, you don't think Isaiah's running through his mind? So much for governments on my shoulder in his humanity. So much of the the power that I'm, I'm the everlasting father, the prince of peace, why am I feeling so disconnected and alone in this moment? Why am I feeling? Because he was trying to give you and I an example. That some questions you and I are gonna ask in life, you're not gonna get the answer to. And you can get mad and get bent out of shape and get mad at God because He won't answer you what you're asking Him for. And that may change, it may not. I don't know. I'm not God. But I learned through this verse that when I asked the question, Sister Joan, Micah, if I'll let that question just kind of begin to die and just fade away and let it be buried in the womb of of my spirit. Folks, we're the earth. It was buried in the earth. You were created of dirt. I'm dirt. That's <laughs> where that helps me and you from ever being cocky. <laughs> we're dirt. <laughs> and we're always gonna be dirt, brother Charlie. We may think we're high and mighty and we're smart and whatever. We ain't none of the above. We're dirt. One writer says we're lower than worms. <laughs> that makes us even feel better. I ain't none of the above. I can't do what God wants me to do unless God empowers me. But in understanding that I am the earth, flesh, that earthen variable, that if I'll let that question just kind of be buried in that inner place of my womb, the spiritual womb of man, and just say, God, I'm gonna just bury that. You're, you're in control, this is what you want. You're, you, you think, I could give you story after story. Come on, Joseph. You got a dream that all of your brothers are gonna bow before you? Your brothers are gonna bow. You got a dream that even the, representing the spiritual, the stars, everything's gonna bow before you. And there you are with a dream in the spiritual womb of humanity, Brother Ken, with no recourse for exemplifying, testifying, or even talking about that dream. Instead, from the dream, Hayden, it gets worse. From the dream the Bible says that he gets thrown into a pit. He gets thrown into the second pit, Potiphar's house with old lady Potiphar. Harlot in the house. That's a good message right there, boy. And he gets thrown into her hands. He gets thrown into the other hands. And from there, Brother Darrell, he gets thrown in jail. Look at what my dream got me. Look at what it's got me, incarceration, isolation, away from my family. Wait, Joseph, wait. You're not seeing the bigger picture. There's a big resurrection coming. There's fixing to be a famine in the land. And I'm going to take you out of the dungeon of of the prison. I'm going to take you out of the dungeon of Potiphar's house. I'm going to take you out of the dungeon of the pit, And I'm letting you go through all that because I'm fixing to elevate you to a place that the whole world is going to come to where you are and where you're questioning your dream. You're questioning your move where you're questioning whether should I have done this, should I have not done this, should I have done, should I have opened my mouth, Kyle? The Bible says in Psalms, it says, for the word of the Lord tried Joseph until his word came. What he's saying, Jacob, is there's a time that it looks like God is a million miles away and he ain't nowhere near me and he ain't answering my prayer. And as much as it seems he's away, I'm generating more and more questions. God, where are you? God, why have you left me? God, why is this situation not working out like I know it can work out? Why is there such a struggle with this situation right now? I need you to help me, God. And God, it's just like Joseph. But there was a famine in the land just like there's been a famine. I'll tell some of many of you this in the Holy Ghost your prayer life has been dry your health has been dry your family has been dry your emotions have been dry and you're trying to do everything in your power to try to find God and and get back to that old awakening of the Spirit like it used to be many many years ago whether it be 30 or 40 50 or 20 or 10 years ago you're trying to get back to it there's been a famine across the land but let me declare to you God never sent that to destroy you he sent that because there's a question that you've got to your heart your mind about him and to him and he's going to bury that question and when the famine's over and the question resurrects it's not just going to resurrect a question anymore that's plagued you day in and day out but there's going to be an answer to some of the things that you've been going through why are you going through what you're going through there's going to be an answer with it and it's going to bring resurrection power to your family Physicians, y'all come, Sister Lisa, Sister Ashley. Lift your hands all across this building right now, if you would. Come on, just close your eyes. Lift your hands to him right now. Come on, lift your voice to him right now. Lift your voice to him right now. He was buried with a question but he resurrected in power. He resurrected with an answer he resurrected with the keys to death hell and the grave some of your family members some of your promises are locked up and it looks like it's incarcerated in a dark dungeon like joseph i'm telling you you're fixing to wake up with some keys in your hand and it's going to represent the door is about to open something's going to change in your health something's going to change in your family something's going to change in kinder because god's got a revival in this area that he's wanting to bring to us and he's preparing the church stand with me anybody got a dime come on I'm a preacher asking for money anybody got a dime no joke you're not getting it back maybe but I need a dime anybody got a dime somebody thank you brother Fontenot I'm going to go back old school to y'all old school (laughs) I told to Brother Fontenot this morning this little bitty old thing can't buy nothing today my boy's small Fernando if I put that dime way out here it don't obscure none of my vision it don't obscure none of you. I can see you just fine. No big deal. This little bitty old thing that can't buy nothing, still money. I respect it in that. But nowadays, you find a dime at Walmart, nowadays we won't even pick it up. I do. But most people won't. They're afraid COVID going to jump on them or something. I don't know. They won't pick up pennies no more. I still pick them up, Gary. I thank you, Jesus, man. I won't you, God, for my penny. Because it's little things. I want I want to thank him over little things is the principle. People think I'm crazy, but I, I promise you, thanking him over the little things will get the big things. You can't thank him over little, you ain't going to get the big things. Now, here's the dime. And man, I can see everybody clear. But when I begin to focus on that dime, Kyle, and all my attention goes to something that isn't in God's economy and don't matter little things in God matter the little things in life we sweat too much before long for long I can do it both eyes I can't see none of you I see y'all are a blur but my eyes are so fixed you take that one and put it right here and the little thing now has blinded me to the big picture and if we just look at him he would have just said I did everything all right and now you're going to let me die with a question he was trying to show you and I how humanity reacts when we've done everything we know to do right and everything seemingly in place questions begin to swirl in our spirit God I have fasted I have prayed I have tried to live right I've made good decisions I've tried why am I going through what I'm going through and if I'm not careful instead of burying the question in my spirit and just saying God you'll give an answer at the right time if you so choose instead I let the little questions that don't matter in the big picture you say but brother Benroll you understand, why did my marriage go through what it went through? It almost cost me. Why did I have to go through this in my health? It almost cost me my faith. Why? There is an eternal. The Bible talks about God with every temptation makes a way of escape. In other words, He puts and allows things to come you and I because He knows what we can handle. You don't think you can handle no more. But God's got more confidence in you. Than you got in yourself. And if you can just let God stay connected to Him and let Him work, the little things that blind us to the big picture will eventually begin to fade. And we'll see it like He sees it. That's what living for God's all about. It's seeing it how He sees it. Every church service you and I come to, I want to see it like He sees it. Why? Because if tomorrow you can see how he sees it on your job, you'll be effective on the job. That which was sent to destroy you won't destroy you. That which was sent to destroy your family won't destroy your family. But you got to see it like he sees it and let him bury the question. And if he'll bury the, if you'll let him bury the question. Hey, you and I know the end of the story. That's why I said this ain't a typical Calvary message. We know what comes out of the tomb power and answers. Is there anybody just wanting to know a little bit more about God today? Why don't you lift your hands right now? Come on, I feel faith in this place right now. I feel faith moving in this place right now. I don't feel, I know some of you are struggling and battling, but you know what the best thing you can do for weak faith is to lift your voice to him right now and give him a shout, a voice, something of praise and thanksgiving today come on lift your voice right now come on come join with me up here at the front right now i want us to lift our voices what i want you to do is leave here today the no those questions don't mean you're a devil those questions don't mean you're backslid. Those questions that you're feeling inside your spirit, what do you say we submit them to him right now? And say, God, why don't you go ahead and bury it? Because if we'll put it back in his hand and let him answer in his time, we'll see a great resurrection in some situations for our family and our home. Come on, lift your voice right now. Those that have joined us at the front. Lift your voice right now. Come on, I feel faith moving in this place right now. I feel faith moving right now in this service. God's trying to let somebody know He's got your back. Yeah. Sure.